Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast for a special bonus episode. Uh, there was just so much news and interesting things that have come up over the past week that I think we need to have a whole different uh, episode just to cover it all. So with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Uh, should we go into the whole preamble of where they can find your stuff, or are we just going to jump into all this news, Ben? Let's just jump into the bonus episode. This is a, there are no rules, Sammy. This is just a bonus episode because we're so excited about all these cars that are happening, I guess. Yeah, of course. So I want to start the bonus episode with some interesting news that, that came out um, about uh, Subaru. You know Subaru, right? How I've would you heard, define, I'm familiar, you, good sir. How would you describe Subaru? Uh, I would describe them as an SUV brand that also sells cars. So what would you, how would you feel if um, Subaru was going to take the Outback and Forester and add a whole new sub-brand known as Wilderness Models to the uh, Outback and Forester to designate them as specific off-road vehicles? So I'm intrigued. Um, <laughs> and maybe the Crosstrek. Uh, maybe and maybe the crosstrek. <laughs> okay, so I, what do I get? Like, do we know what's going to happen? Are we going to get like skid plates and knobby tires and like a jacked up suspension, or is it just going to be like it comes with a mountain bike? <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, it will come with uh, a jacked up suspension. Okay, and that's all I know. That's all I've seen. That's, so, uh, people have been saying that they've been there have been spy photos of these um, outbacks. Uh, and Foresters that are a little bit higher riding, um, and I guess that's enough to to throw in a whole new sub-brand of Wilderness, right? Well, you know, it's interesting because I believe the Forester and the Outback both currently offer 8.7 inches of ground clearance. Is that right? Yep. And that's the same as a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Yeah. So how much more ground clearance are we talking here? Are we talking like 10 inches? <laughs> um, 10 inches more? You would need no, no, no. I don't, mean like, I don't mean like 18 inches total. <laughs> <laughs> but I just mean like I, I, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. I think it's a cool idea because it's on brand for Subaru. That um, sounds ridiculous to me. The whole brand of Subaru is off roady. But and why do I need another brand to say that? Because it's like saying you know the whole brand of Corvette is performance, but then they make a performance model. It's it's the same <laughs> kind of thing. Like they're going to be able but to make an entire lineup. They're going to be able to make more money off of it. There's special models, and that's never a bad thing. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I want to, I want to transition, but I'll, that is a great, um, that is a good thing to, to start with because I'm glad that we can, we can start with such, um, contrasting opinions from the very get-go. And, and I just, think it's ridiculous. And just for, 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 for people who are just tuning in, we're doing this kind of lightning round style where Sammy's going to bring up a topic. I'm going to quote unquote react, and then we'll just go from there. So we might not spend a ton of time on each of these, but there's just so many of them to get through. Right. Okay. So the next thing is Mercedes-Benz is not going to offer the EQC, its electric vehicle, um, anymore in North America, I suppose. Okay. So first of all, how many people knew the EQC was a thing? I think there were some people who were excited about the EQC. If I remember correctly, I think a bunch of them just got recalled in Europe, which is, means somebody knew about them. So this is, is, it, this is like a little electric car? No, it's not a little electric car. It's basically the GLC with an electric powertrain. Okay, it's, so... I've driven it before. So I understand. If they're not going to sell their big electric SUV in North America for reasons, I'm, I'm assuming it's because the range is probably not impressive, um, they must have an even more impressive SUV they want to bring over in its place, right? Like, that's what's going to happen. Um, 
if by SUV you mean sedan, I think they're going to be bringing the EQS, which I believe is a flagship electric vehicle, uh, electric sedan, that they're going to be bringing out this year. So a large sedan with a battery? I, I'm confused. Doesn't anyone, does anyone still buy large luxury sedans? I don't know, Ben. I don't know. How does this strategy p- play? Like, how does it make any sense? They're saying, we're not going to sell you guys the E2C anymore. That just doesn't seem like the right play. We're going to sell you the sedan. Wait, but they made the they made the SUV because people like SUVs. And if you're going to get an EV, you might as well get an SUV version of it because that adds, you know, better value for the buyer. And now we're going to get an, an, a sedan instead. But they also developed and made these EQCs, right? Like, so what happens now? What, where did all that cost go? They're going to get dumped in the Australian market. I mean, it's, that's the only... That's the only possible explanation. I just don't understand why you would try to sell a vehicle that nobody wants, which is a large electric sedan. I think there's only one company that success, succeeded in doing that, and that's Tesla. And mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like Mercedes is not going to be able to meet Tesla in terms of range. So why bother with a, a big introduction for a car you're going to sell a handful for every year when you could have sold much larger sample of these SUVs? just doesn't make sense to me. I agree. Um, furthermore, confusing things, uh, Chevrolet has revealed the new Bolt. Uh, there's two versions of it. One is called the Bolt EUV for electric utility vehicle, and one is just known as the EV for electric vehicle, I guess. Um, <laughs> here's what you need to know. The Bolt powertrain is more or less identical to what it was uh, before. We're talking uh, 259 miles for the... Uh, EV and 250 miles for the EUV, and I think we're we're thinking about 200 horsepower out of the out of the front wheels. And I think yeah. there's like there's a couple of really interesting things about this this decision. The first, oh yeah, the first being I believe the uh, the range is good on these, right? You, did you just mention it? Yeah, 259 for the, uh, the the non-utility vehicle and 250 for the utility vehicle. So the vehicle, the utility vehicle, is larger in theory, and heavier, I guess, but it actually has less cargo space than the regular hatchback, the, the car. You nailed it. So the How SUV Volt... So you're saying the utility vehicle... Has less, less utility. Car- <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly. And less range. And it's yep. not all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to buy it. It seems very strange. It's it's an odd decision by GM. The other odd, odd thing about these two vehicles, though, is neither of them are on the Ultium platform which is the next generation battery system that is that is all the rage at gm right now and what's what they're basing their future on but the bolt is kind of a one and done vehicle in terms of technology it's like it's like the volt was when it came out it was like they had this great plug-in extended range hybrid and they did nothing with it they they sold the volt they sold a version of it as the cadillac elr and then crickets then they came out with the Bolt. Again, it's a really cool platform. It's uh, it's a great vehicle to drive. The new one is kind of just a variation on the theme. And then eventually it's going to disappear because it's not Ultium. So this is a really strange kind of, um, I guess, placeholder vehicle, Sammy. Right. And I will I, – I really don't like that the – you know, General Motors over the past year has made a big – um, a big hubbub about their electric um, developments, especially with this Ultium battery and powertrain. They talked about how versatile those those um, electric motors are, how great this platform is going to be, how awesome their battery technology is going to be. And they they showcased it to us in two very cool-looking vehicles in the Hummer EV and the Cadillac um, Lyric. And we're not going to see those 
like that sounds great, but both of those cars sound very expensive. And what we can't wait to see are these more affordable vehicles. And I thought that maybe the Bolt would be that. And instead, we're getting the same powertrain platform that we got last time. But there is something I need to add. The new Bolt will come with Super Cruise, which is awesome, right? That's a high-tech feature that is worth um, getting excited about. Sure. And it's much more affordable than the 2021 model. I don't... In fact, it's four thousand dollars more affordable than last year's model there, there's a lot to like about the bolt like the regular bolt car the one that has the best range and the best interior room and i, I think forget about the the utility vehicle it's yeah the it's, non-utility it's, vehicle yeah it is a strange choice but uh i i like the bolt i like the new bolt i'm just kind of sad that it doesn't fit into the future plans for the brand okay so now i have to now i have to screw you up you can't get the regular Bolt with Super Cruise. That's only on the utility vehicle. Oh my goodness. What a mess. <laughs> what a mess. So, moving on, I want to talk about the uh, one more EV, I think. It is Audi's e-tron GT. Um, for all, you know what, we might as well just call it what it is. This is the Porsche Taycan with an Audi badge, right? All I want to know about this Audi e-tron GT is what's the range like? Um, I think it's 220 something, 238 miles of drive. Oh, 230. You got it. That is considerably lower than a competitive Tesla. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of Tesla, but one thing they do very well is marrying range and performance together. Um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately the vehicles they do that in are not necessarily built as well as an Audi or a Porsche, Porsche, which is what this vehicle is based on. So I guess you have to ask yourself if you, if you're interested, I I mean, I've driven other e-trons, they drive very well, but you have to ask yourself what's more important to you, uh, build quality and uh, engineering or straight up range and, and speed together. We should also add price because this uh, e-tron GT starts at a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So it's a hundred thousand dollars. You can drive 240 miles. Uh, That's about what you can drive in a Kia Niro, right? And it's less than (laughs) the bolt. So, to me, that to me, it's hard to understand the market for this car. Yep, I agree with you on that. Um, okay, let's go on to um, another another car. Oh no, I'm really I'm. If people haven't tuned out about these cars yet, this one will certainly do it. The new Mitsubishi Outlander, right? This is what we got to talk. This is what we're here to talk about. This is the next generation Outlander, and it's important because. It's using an alliance platform, which is to say it's using the platform that's that's shared with its uh, its buddies over at Renault and Nissan, which is a good which is a good thing. Instead, it means Mitsubishi is not handling all of the engineering and developing costs, development costs on their own. And what we ended up with, honestly, is a rogue like it's essentially a, a Nissan rogue with um, with a, 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 an available third row of seating which and is a fairly kind of, dramatic restyle. Yeah. And it is. It looks pretty wild. Um, how do you feel about this thing? What's weird? it has the same powertrain. I need to add that powertrain platform the same. Even the interior, you can see some pieces uh, between the two, like the shifter or the um, or the t- the infotainment system look very similar between the two vehicles. What's weird about it is the the Rogue. Sorry, the Outlander comes from a brand that has no identity. No one really knows what a modern Mitsubishi means. And for a a long time, Mitsubishi was trying to cover that up by selling the plug-in hybrid PHEV version of the Outlander and saying, oh, it's the best-selling plug-in in the world and, you know, it's affordably priced and this and that. And it it was an old technology vehicle on an older platform that really felt its age. They're keeping that vehicle around and selling it 
alongside this new Outlander, which isn't a Mitsubishi at all. So my question becomes, why do you buy a Mitsubishi that's built by Nissan if it doesn't offer you anything that, that's unique to the brand? I'd say the styling, it, it looks okay, mm-hmm. but is that enough to pull people away from a Rogue, which is historically f- covered in incentives and sells very well as a result? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Mitsubishi has made um, an effort, I think, in terms of the value play of the Outlander. And it's always been the most affordable uh, compact crossover in, in its segment. That's good. Um, and then for the for the buyers who want to take advantage of um, uh, electric vehicle incentives, the PHEV was a really good purchase for them as well, even though it felt it looked really dated. I was really looking forward to the new Outlander because I thought we'd get a new platform, uh, or at least a, a very good platform, because the new Rogue is is quite good, um, different styling, and potentially that that plug-in hybrid. But it seems like we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that plug-in hybrid version of this Outlander, and I don't know how long we're going to be waiting. And so that's knows, a problem. Who knows what it's going to be priced at when and if it does arrive. Now, the advantage is that Mitsubishi as a whole, with this Outlander, will be raising its quality um, it's standard of quality by a significant margin, I think. The Rogue is a very good vehicle to base your product on or to be to share parts with. It could be far worse, right? Sure, but I mean, if I want a Rogue, I know where I can get a Rogue. Right, but now you can get a Rogue with a third row seating, and that seems to be the only reason you'd get an Outlander. Oof, I do not want to sit back there, though, because I know, I know. there's not going to be room. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, so let's keep let's keep moving along. We've got um, just recently a brand new global version of the Honda HRV. It's known as the Vezel in different markets. Vezel? Yeah. Vezel. How do I spell that? V E Z E L or Z E L. Let's talk okay? about that for a second. So I assume they're trying to be like Vessel. Like this is a vessel to bring you where you want to go, which makes me feel like really early two thousands, or maybe the name of a yoga studio. Yeah, I suppose that's the way. I'm asking you because you're a yoga expert. You just, I am. A, I'm, I'm not a yogi or a yogi. You just leave yogi. me hanging with your silence. <laughs> well, because I got, I got, I, I remembered upon mentioning the HRV and the vessel that um, saying vessel, the North American version of the HRV will not be based on this. So we should just, we should just cram this section of the, uh, we should just punt this section of the podcast. I don't know what you think I do when I edit the podcast, but punching does not occur. Punt, punt. We got to punt it. All right. Um, anyways, it's a cool looking, um, I think Honda's global design is really nice. I think I like their new fit. I love that Honda e-hybrid. Um, and this HRV looks kind of sharp too. It's a shame we're not getting any of those three. So on to the next thing. How about a, Nope, this is also not coming to North America, I don't Wait, think. Do you just have a list of tease vehicles that you're going <laughs> yeah, through? Yeah. Okay, how about the new uh, Kia K8? Now, we've talked about the K5, which was the old Optima. The K8, I think, is the 800. The Kia K... The Kia... What is it called? Cadenza. No, no. The, the K7 is... Oh, maybe it is the Cadenza. It's not the K900. That's what you're trying to get me to say, but I'm not going to say. First of all, it's also pronounced Kate, Sammy. It's the K- Kate. Oh, okay. As opposed to the K9. Yes. Okay. So this is a really attractive looking car. Uh, really impressed with the styling. I hope it comes to North America, even though the uh, sedan segment is falling behind. It's, it, re- it really looks high tech, right? I mean, I thought that the Cadenza was dead along with the K900 at the end of this year. So I'd be surprised that they replaced it. So this, you're going to have to add this to your tease list because I think that's okay, – I, I think it's just all a tease list. 
All of the Martif. Okay, let's talk about cars that people will actually be able to buy in North America. How about this one? The 2022 Porsche 911 GT3 with 502 horsepower, I believe a manual transmission, and that 4-liter naturally aspirated flat 6 that revs up to 9,000 RPM. Man, this sounds amazing, right? Uh, sure. I mean, or does it just sound like every other GT3 that has ever it, come in it sounds but like with a different chassis code? It's the latest evolution of the GT3. Never a bad thing. Um, I'm not much of a supercar guy. So, I, I mean, do you have more you want to say about it, Sammy? Um, you can get an, a six-speed manual or a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, which is important because other 911s get an eight-speed um, transmission, so seven-speed here. It's extremely fast. They've lapped it on the Nürburgring. Uh, 17 seconds faster than the last generation GT3, which is pretty awesome. Um, a sub seven minute time, if that matters to anybody out there. Zero to 60 happens in 3.2 seconds. It probably sounds awesome. But I don't think I can handle it. I think it would just paste me all over the racetrack. (laughs) I'm with you. It does just seem like a next step for the GT3. And I don't know if I'm totally enthusiastic about it. Like, I'm never surprised when Porsche's like, hey, we made a much faster version of our already fast car. You know, it's like, that's what they do. It's it's like... But, like, what would have surprised you if it was a hybrid? It would have surprised me if it was an EV with more than 238 miles of range. That would have been <laughs> very surprising. Okay. Well, in, in that a good case, way. I want to bring up the electrification uh, situation one more time for the last vehicle of our lightning round bonus episode. This car that I'm about to talk to you is called the McLaren Artura, which is going to replace their quote-unquote entry-level lineup of vehicles, the 540, 570, and I think uh, 600 um, models uh, that they're called. And this is now ditching the the four, I think it's a four-liter V8. It's going to be using a three-liter V6 paired to an electric powertrain. And I don't just mean like a, a mild hybrid or something. This has a legit battery and can run on electric power alone cool huh so um i'm not a big fan of hybrid supercars and i know they exist to push the envelope uh i as i mentioned earlier supercars don't do a lot for me so if there's not a lot of visceral driving thrills there in the experience when you're behind the wheel um i don't really care too much about how fast it actually is in terms of raw numbers so it's hard for me to get excited about these kinds of cars Okay, okay. Let me try one more time. This is not like an Acura NSX, which I think is a pretty heavy um, full hybrid. This car weighs, I think, under 3,300 pounds um, for a, a vehicle with a mid-engine v- turbo, twin-turbocharged V6 and a battery pack. And McLaren's, they handle pretty well. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you from first-hand experience, I've had a really good time on the track with a 600LT um, and they're unbelievably quick. No, I, well, I, I, I know I've, I've driven these cars as well and I've enjoyed them, but I, I don't necessarily want to add a hybrid to that mix. It's not, I don't see what it's bringing to the table for me as a driver. And that's just, I'm not their demographic. So it doesn't matter what I think ultimately. Okay. Well, Ben sums up the episode very succinctly. It doesn't matter what he thinks. Ben, why don't we talk about, um, 
how people can get in touch with us and how they can find our podcast and other bonus episodes or regular episodes if this is the first time they're listening. Sure. If you want to find out other – if you want to uh, find out other opinions we have that don't matter, you can go to <laughs> unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And all the episodes are there, or you could go to any of your pod- favorite podcatchers, Apple Music, um, Google Play Music, whatever it's called now, uh, Spotify, CastBox. We are everywhere. And just look up Unnamed Automotive Podcast and you will find us. Additionally, when you go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can uh, go to the contact uh, section of the website. You can fill out a little form and it lands in our inbox. It's an easy way to get in touch with us. Or you can reach out to us on social media. I'm on Twitter, where you can find me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Dead silence. I'm still here. (laughs) Okay. You can also email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And I swear I will forward that to Sammy. Thank you. So thanks, everyone, for listening to our uh, bonus episode. And we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming um at the regularly scheduled time which i believe is a sunday morning or something wow you're so on the ball about what we actually do behind the scenes (laughs) thank you for listening and we'll talk to you later bye